Thank you for listening to the Hope City Community Church Podcast. We pray that your life will be forever changed by what you hear today. Our goal is to encourage, inspire, and challenge you to experience the real Jesus. Thanks for listening. Now let's tune in. Well, good morning, church. How is everybody? I'd like to uh, just tell all the Alabama fans, you're welcome. You're welcome. We, uh, I will say this, the fact that we got within three points of your team is pretty sad. It's pretty sad for you. If Arkansas gets in three points, y'all need some work. You need some work. I, um, I say it in all joking. I, uh, I did enjoy watching the game last night. And, uh, but I'm going to tell you, you pray for peace. God makes you a Razorback fan. That's what happens. And, uh, you know, so we're just more saved than other teams, I guess. Um, all, all joking aside, I hope your team won. I hope you had a great weekend. I hope you're continuing to have a great weekend. Uh, today, we're going to continue the Watson and Name series, and we are going to discuss one of the rarest names of God as far as, as it pertains to its usage and the amount of times it's used. Uh, this is the name El Elyon, E-L-E-L-Y-O-N, El Elyon, contrary to popular belief, that is not a Mexican restaurant in Defuniac Springs. <laughs> Y'all been over to El Elyon yet? <laughs> the good guacamole over the uh, uh, the name of El Elyon. It means the Most High God. That's the American translation of it, uh, but that really falls short. Uh, if you look at El Elyon, El being short of Elohim, it's they cut out Ahim. It's El Elohim. And then Elyon is a word in the Hebrew uh, that the best we can describe it uh, is it's the strongest of the strong, the greatest of the great, the God of all gods, king of all kings, the keeper of every dominion, the holder of every key. Uh, and it is uh, the, the holder of the covenant. So our language often uh, fails to encapsulate uh, the authority of the Hebrew language as it comes to the names of God. And so El Elyon, uh, when we say, oh, that's the most high God. Well, yes, but it's uh, an anemic version of it. Um, today, I've got a couple of stories for you. Uh, the first one is uh, about Abram before he was Abraham in Genesis chapter 14. Uh, and then I've got a story for you. Uh, about King David. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 6. So if you want to save those two spaces in your Bible, we're going to jump on those pretty quick this morning for the sake of time. Uh, first, we see uh, in Genesis chapter 14, uh, let me kind of give you some, some context of what's going on. Uh, in those days and in that area, most of the groups were nomadic in nature meaning that they lived in tents and they would uh, basically go wherever the green grass and the water was because they would shepherd sheep uh, and they had to have water for their uh, their movable gardens. And they, they, uh, they were very um, dependent on the weather and the rain. And so most of these tribes in the Old Testament were nomadic in nature. Uh, Abram being no different. Uh, Abram, uh, the... The scripture says that God told him, wherever you put your feet, I'll bless you, because he knew he was going to be moving him all over the place. Well, in Genesis chapter 14, uh, a few of these nomadic kings get together, and they attack a city by the name of Sodom. Uh, we hear about Sodom and Gomorrah later on, but this is before that story. Uh, Abraham's cousin Lot lived in Sodom, and so when these kings, these nomadic kings got together, they attacked Sodom. They took Lot hostage and his family. All their possessions uh, basically became uh, the, uh, the property and the possession of these nomadic kings. Well, the word got to Abraham, uh, Abram at the time, soon to become Abraham, and they said, hey, they said, they got your cousin. They got his family. They got all of his possessions. Uh, and this was a bad thing because uh, if you were captured in war for the rest of your life, you were going to be enslaved to your captors. And so Abraham had a decision to make. 
Uh, was he going to just let this go or was he going to go after the people who attacked his cousin? Uh, and so he makes a decision uh, to go with 318 of his trained warriors. Now, here's what's interesting. Uh, this gives us some insight as to the wealth of Abraham, the wealth of Abram. In those days, there weren't uh, militaries except in the major areas uh, like Egypt, uh, Rome, those areas. Uh, but for a man to have an army in the wilderness, in one of these nomadic tribes of 318 trained warriors, that means he had his own military. He had his own police force. And so the reason a man would have that kind of wealth is to protect what he owned. And so it gives you a picture of just how blessed Abram was as a nomadic uh, leader of a tribe that he had 318 warriors. And so Abraham makes the decision. He's not going to let his cousin be enslaved. And he uh, uh, basically gets his 318 warriors and they take off after these nomadic kings. And they don't just conquer them. They plunder them. And they take all of the things that they stole from Sodom back. They get Lot and his family back, but they don't just do that. They then take all of the possessions of the nomadic kings. They basically just go run shot and they take everything from everybody. And they come back, and this is where uh, our, our first story today picks up in Genesis 14, because it's at this point we see one of the most interesting characters in the Bible show up. His name is Melchizedek. Melchizedek. Go study Melchizedek. Melchizedek is kind of like uh, a linchpin to the New Testament in the Old Testament. Go study Melchizedek. It will give you tons of, uh, of information about Christ. It'll give you tons of information uh, about communion. It'll give you tons of information uh, about uh, Jesus's life as it pertained to being in the order of Melchizedek. He is a wealth of knowledge uh, that we see play out in the New Testament. And so uh, you can study that on your own. But um, the story picks up here in Genesis chapter 14, verse 18, after he gets back with all of the spoils of war. And it says, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Wait a second. Bread and wine, that sounds a lot like uh, communion, doesn't it? Bread and wine. We see Jesus give us bread and wine in the, uh, the Last Supper, right? So this bread and wine thing is a prophetic thing that a king and priest would bring, a king and priest. So when Jesus brings uh, bread and wine to the, to the Last Supper, it is an indicator that he is in the same order of Melchizedek, that he is not just a priest, he is also a king, that what he said he was, he actually was. And so this bread and wine has a very powerful touch on it. Let's keep reading. It says, he was priest of God most high, and he blessed Abram, saying, blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God most high. This is the word El Elyon here. And praise be to God, uh, El Elyon, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So this tenth thing was an honorarium of obedience to the house of the Lord. So everything they took in the spoils, they he handed 10% over to Melchizedek for the priesthood. Just after this, and it's not in my notes, but I want to give you this because it's important that you know what happened. The king of Sodom comes back to Abram. And he says, I've thought it over, and you're, you're, you're a great man in battle. So here's what I want you to do. If you'll just give me all the people that you took, keep the money. And it dawned on me, wait a second, like if I've got 318 warriors to whoop people he couldn't whoop, how's he going to tell me what I can and can't keep? How about I just whoop him and keep it all? That's the way my mind works, right? But then something happens. Abram says, I can't keep any of it. He says, because I raised my hand in a covenant with God that he would be my source. Let me explain. If the king of Sodom was to come and say, give me the people and you keep the money, 
it would be said that, oh yeah, the king of Sodom made Abram wealthy. And Abram said, no one will have God's glory, not in my life or anyone around my life. He said, we're, we're, we're going to let God bring our increase, not the king of Sodom, right? So he tells the king of Sodom, here's what you do. You take everything, and all I want you to do is pay the leaders of my military and their men what they're due for the battles, and you keep the rest. In other words, El Elyon was so uh, poignant to the story that when Abraham heard El Elyon, it reminded him God Most High is not just a position that God has that he's above all other gods, but he's also above everything else in our life priority as well, right? And so, so many times in our life, uh, we want God to be the superpower God until it becomes time to prioritize him, and then he falls somewhere between wherever we need him to be that week so that we just get what we want done, Right? And so uh, as we go into this next story, you're going to see that it's so crucial to understand that El Elyon is not just a descriptor of God. It's not just a description of him. It's not just them saying that he's God over all other gods. It's also you when you proclaim him as El Elyon saying that he is my top priority. There's nothing else greater in my life than him. I will live my entire life for him. I will change anything he asks me to change. I will go anywhere he asks me to go, do anything he asks me to do. He is the number one priority. Are we tracking? Okay, uh, let's jump for the sake of time to 2 Samuel chapter 6. And we're going to uh, be in uh, verse uh, 1 through 11. Uh, this is a story about David bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, the city of David. And uh, we're going to read here, uh, starting in verse 1. It says, David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, around 30,000. He and all his men went to Bala in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart. Look at your neighbor and say, a new cart. Look at your other neighbor and say, not an old cart, a new cart. All right. And it says, and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. So Abinadab's this guy, he's, uh, lives up on a hill. It's been at his house. And so they send this brand new cart that they had built to get the Ark of the Covenant. Okay. It said, and Yuza and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Ahio was walking in front of it. David and all of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. So here's what's going on. You have got the craziest parade busting out from Abinadab's property. They have the ark of the covenant on a new tricked out, 2023 Cadillac Escalade ox powered. This thing is tight. It's tight. It's, 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 it's worthy to carry the presence of God. This thing is awesome. So they put the Ark of the Covenant on it and they're starting to leave Abinadab's house and they're so hyped that the presence of God, because see at this time, the Ark of the Covenant, wherever the Ark was, was the blessing of God. And for David to be bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem was going to change everything. It would be like God indwelling himself in your house. And whatever you need in your house, God just takes care of it for you. That your crops would just be blessed. That your animals would live twice as long. That water would flow twice as deep. That your money would go twice as far. I mean, everything in your house changed when the Ark was there. And here's what's interesting. They start leaving Abinadab's house, and to honor Abinadab, they let his boys, Yuza and Ahio, flank the front of the cart. This is the, the parade float. This is the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of the one true living God. And now they're walking out of Abinadab's 
uh, property and everybody sing. Oh man, that's a Benedict's boy. What's up? Throw some beads, man. <laughs> right? So they're all walking, you know, they got the Ark of the Covenant. Like, it's the Ark of the Covenant. My dad's house. Ark of the Covenant. What's up? It's a big deal, right? But then behind them, 30,000. The entire population of Crestview and Baker put together, losing their minds in worship. And it says, and they worship with all their might. When is the last time you've worshiped with even 10% of your might? I had a dance contest with Nora when she was three, and I'm still sore. <laughs> She's six. I can't imagine from Abinadab's house going to a threshing floor that was quite a distance. And these, they've gone into, if you look into the Hebrew, they've gone into what's called a Shabbat worship. Do you know what Shabbat worship is? Shabbat worship is where they're so hyped, they're throwing their robes off and they're just chanting and they're dancing and they're singing and they're worshiping and that they're just people playing different music on different instruments, just rocking out. Everybody's going bananas. Why? Because the presence of God is back in the house of David. And they were thinking to themselves, boy, we've been rocking these suckers in wars. We ain't lost under David yet. And now the ark is coming. We can't lose. <laughs> Man, they, I mean, they're turning up. This is, a, this is a show that you have never seen anywhere on earth. 30,000 warriors dancing and praising God. Are you kidding? These were savage men. Have you ever just gone and studied David and the men he hung out with? These were not the, praise God, welcome to church. <laughs> These were not effeminate men. David by himself in a 24-hour period castrated 200 men by his own hand. And by the way, people don't just stand still, sweetheart, and let that happen. This dude was a stone-cold savage killer. And he is so excited to have the presence of God that he's tearing his robe and he's dancing down the street and he's worshiping. Why? Because it's no longer in my own might that I'll have to fight. It's no longer with my own hand I'll go to battle. It'll be God's hand. It'll be Jehovah Jireh fighting for me. It'll be Jehovah Nisi. The banner will fly over the house of David again. Hallelujah! You see, the truth is, if you could see in the Spirit, you'd worship the same way. Oh, man. First service didn't get that. They're cutting loose in Abinadab's house. He says, but when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Yuza reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the ox stumbled. The threshing floor was this place where these giant wheels would go in a rut and they would throw their grain and they'd have an animal pulling this giant granite wheel. And so anything you threw into the threshing floor eventually made its way into this groove. And that giant granite wheel would crush the grain and it would separate what's called wheat and chaff. And they would, the reason why they would put it up on a hill is because the wind would blow there. And so we know he's still reasonably close to Abinadab's house, still on the hill. And so he's, he's traveling along and all of a sudden the ox drags the cart and the cart bumps into the threshing floor, this groove in the ground. And the party's going so wild and so crazy. Nobody realizes that the threshing floor is coming and the ox being an ox, he's just doing what he's told. He's just going north to south. He don't care. And he's traveling along and he hits the pothole. 
of the threshing floor and the cart dips. And the Ark of the Covenant begins to tumble off the cart. At which point, user didn't hesitate. Nope, not on my watch. And he puts his hands on the Ark of the Covenant. We continue to read, it said, The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down. And he died there beside the Ark of God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. In the Hebrew, it means we wept for him. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the closest house. It's a guy by the name of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's blessings. Now let me let me let me let me let me catch you up. Because if you if you look at this the wrong way, it indicts God. If you don't know the scripture, somebody's actions can look like God's problem when it was really an act of disobedience. You gotta go way back to get this. Uh, Exodus 25, Numbers 4. There was a prescription on how to carry the Ark of the Covenant. There was also warnings that humans would never touch the Ark of the Covenant under any circumstances. You don't touch it. As a matter of fact, only one person a year was allowed to go in the room with it. Much less not touch it. If you look in the scripture, the ark was never supposed to be on a cart. It was designed with eyelets on both ends on both sides so that a long piece of timber would go through and then people from a certain family would carry the Ark of the Covenant that God had blessed to carry it, and that he gave specific instruction on how to carry it, when to carry it, what weather to carry it. There's a lot of specifics about the Ark of the Covenant. Why did David put it on a cart? I will submit to you, that he thought it was the best thing. He thought it was the best thing. Man, we're going a long way here. There's no need to bother, bother the, the Levites with this. We'll just put it on a cart. Matter of fact, make it the best cart. I want you to gold leaf this bad boy. I want you to put some spinners on it. Make sure that the ox are pure. Make sure that these ox have never done anything else. They've never pulled anything else. Make sure this is one that honors God. Yeah, that's what we'll do. We're going to bring the ox, the, the ark of the covenant back on a parade float to honor God. And the whole time heaven is saying, Obedience is better than sacrifice. I instructed you how to manage my presence. And just because you think your way is better does not relieve you from obedience. Just because you thought you were honoring me does not mean I will not hold up my end of the bargain and strike a man dead who touches what I said no man should touch. 
And David was angry with God. Well, how am I ever going to get the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem? God's killing people, didn't like my cart. <laughs> oh, sometimes God can just be, oh, so gaudy, you know? Ah. I know he told me how to do it, but I thought my way was better than. <laughs> uh oh. Uh oh. Uh oh. Isaiah 55, verse 8 through 9 My thoughts are not like your thoughts. My ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. The minute you put yourself into the same circle of thought with me, you messed up. God was saying, David, you can't see what I can see. You can't change what I can change. So don't disrespect my request by thinking what you do is better than my request from you. And so now they're stuck with, huh, it's another cool story. Go study Obed-Edom and how he ties back into uh, um, Esau, Jacob and Esau. It's very cool. Now there's this cat by the name of Obed-Edom who is just ching-chinging on everything. I mean, just slapping home runs financially. And it sits there in his house. And David's like, that blessing was from my house. We got to go get that thing. Right? That belongs in my house. Not Obed-Edom. God, you blessing everything Obed-Edom's doing. That, shouldn't, that was a, a, a mistake that it ever went by his house. What God was showing David by blessing Obed-Edom is that I will not change irrelevant of your mistakes. Wherever I am is blessed. The fact that you put me on a cart, that's your problem. See, it's easy. It's easy to get on David for putting the Ark of the Covenant on a cart. It's easy. Because we ain't got no Ark of the Covenant. And maybe two of y'all in here even got a cart anyway. <laughs> but, 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 but. It's easy to judge him. But when it comes to our disobedience, we don't want to talk no more. Come on now. Say that again. <laughs> you see? He's the same God. He's the same God today. Your disobedience is just as destructive. And what's funny is we got a church that'll sit here and shout. All David had to do was go read Numbers chapter 4. All David had to do was go read Exodus chapter 25. All David... All you had to do was read a couple pieces of the New Testament and you wouldn't be in the trouble you in, sweetheart. Well, I didn't know the Lord wasn't sending me a man like that. No, it happens all the time. Pastor Josh, I can't wait for you to meet this girl. Praise God. <laughs> Pastor Josh, she is a godsend. No, she's not. She's a devil sin. She won't even honor your God before you come into covenant with her. But somehow a ring's going to change it. Oh, y'all better quit. How about this? How about this? 
How about this? Pastor Josh, please pray for increase in my finances. Signed, your faithful member. Praise God. And I go to pray. And yet you haven't even followed what the scripture says about your finances. Will a man rob God? That ain't Josh's words. How about this one? How about this one? How about this one? I just don't know why these kids act the way they act. I don't know why my kids won't listen to me. Got a whole row of beautiful kids up here. I don't know why these kids won't listen. I ain't never met a bad kid in my life. I've met some horrible parents. I don't know why my house is falling apart. Well, baby, maybe if your Bible was falling apart, your house wouldn't be. Let's take it back to David. It's so much easier. <laughs> Let's get on this mug. Let's get on David. Let's get on David. But whatever you do, don't talk about Josh. Right. So don't talk about times I put it in a ditch with my family. Let's just stay on David because you have died. You know how many dreams and visions probably died in my life because I was disobedient? Do you know how many people that because I was disobedient, I will probably never get another chance to share the gospel with them now? As far as eternity goes, that's the same story. You can put user, you can fill his name in with probably thousands, if not tens of thousands of people I've met over the years that I was disobedient. But it's fun we talk about David. Ha, he had, he had spinach on the cart though. Go back to that. Disobedience is destructive. The Bible says it like this. It says that, 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 that many are the ways of a man, but it's the Lord who directs his steps. But you got all these different ways you can go. But if you let the Lord direct, here's the, here's, 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 can I have five more minutes? Uh, give me, give me five more minutes. Here's the, here's the reason why disobedience is so bad. Your disobedience speaks louder about your relationship with God than your words do. You can worship him with the voice of angels. But your disobedience backhands him with your actions. Mm -hmm. And see, lately, I don't know if you've seen this pattern, but no matter what I try to preach, it always comes back to an obedience thing. That's something God working out in me. That's him working out in me, and you, you just get some of the byproduct of it. Because I still let fear step in sometimes in my decisions. I still let anxiety take the will every now and again. And I got to quit that. So, uh, obedience. Yeah, yeah, I want to hit this real quick. Obedience to a good God leads to good things. And, 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 and let, let, me, let me explain. When I was a kid, my grandfather uh, was uh, a cattleman. He had, uh, had a ranch and cows, and every once in a while, the rodeo would come through. And he would allow the, uh, the guys from the rodeo to run some of their cattle on just to let them stretch their legs because a lot of these cows and these bulls would go from rodeo to rodeo to rodeo and never really get out of a pen. And so they'd have a friend who was in ranching, and they'd say, okay, you got a pen for this bull? He'd say, yeah, bring this bull here. And so when the rodeo would come to Pine Bluff, they would bring some of the Brahma bulls, the bucking bulls, uh, to Double X Ranch, which was my grandfather's ranch. Well, uh, my brother and I had just gotten there. It was in the late spring. Uh, I was seven or eight years old. I can't remember exactly. But we'd just gotten there. 
because school had just let out and we would work usually the first half of the summer with our grandfather. And so I got there and the first thing my grandfather said, and I should have known it was serious because a lot of times he'd go through the rules about, you know, take your shoes off for you come in the house, all this stuff. He'd go through all that. But this time was different. He said, hey, stay away from the pen behind the barn. Stay away from the pen behind the barn. To a seven-year-old kid, what do you think I did? <laughs> Let's go see what's in the pen behind the barn. <laughs> I had my brother with me. My brother's one year, he's 20, year, 20 months older than me. And so my brother's like, Josh, that's not a good idea. Because you know Grandpa's going to beat the fool out of us if we go over there. I was like, yeah, but what if it's really cool and worth the beating? Let's go look. <laughs> so we, we go around the side of the barn, and there is the most crazy, I mean, crooked horn Brahma. This mug looked like he wanted to take every life he'd ever seen. Just a savage bull, huge. And, uh, and I said, it's just a bull. We're around heifers this big all the time. What's the problem? And so I climbed up on the gate. And I'll never forget my brother saying, don't do that. And then a loud noise. And then me feeling like I'm sliding on dirt. That bull had been watching me climb up that fence. And the minute I got so tall, I wouldn't jump. He ran and he hit that gate. And when he did, it rocketed me about 10 to 15 yards across the gravel driveway. And so I get up and I'm dusting my back off. My brother's laughing hysterically. <laughs> and the first thing I think is, don't tell grandpa. I still to this day, there ain't been a bull there in probably 25 years. I still don't go near that thing. Why? Because there's something about obedience now. There's something once you've been burned in a certain area, boy, you learn the hard way. You learn it, don't you? So watch this. Now with Maddie, Gabe, and Nora, 15, 14, 6. I put regulations on them based on my desire for their life. Oh man, if you could get that, it'd change your life. <laughs> the rules in the Bible are not there to oppress you they are there to bless you. They're not there to keep you out of all the fun. They're there to keep you in all the protection and blessing. And so many people look at the scripture and they say, all that says what I can't do. All that is, can't have a good time on Friday night. I'm, I'm a Jesus freak now, can't go do this and that. I'll never forget my parents. Uh, 10 o'clock was my curfew until I left their house. 10 o'clock. And uh, I remember not really having a desire because after 10 o'clock, I remember my friends got in trouble anyway. My dad would always say, son, nothing good happens after 10 anyway. Just be home. I think, I don't know, man, 10 o'clock. And we'd always date these girls. 10 o'clock, geez, that's so early. Why don't you just... <laughs> Stay till 10.30, see what happens. Because <laughs> it ain't your butt getting a whooping. That's why I'm going home. You take the beating, I'll stay, I'll stay. <laughs> What's funny is everybody wants to draw you out of your blessing. Right. Let me take this a different route because I want you to see this. Maddie is just to be driving. She's doing a good job. She's learning how to drive her car. And I'm going to put certain stipulations. Probably ain't going to drive at night by herself at first just because, you know, it's more for other people than you, sweetheart, honestly. <sighs> Maybe. But I'm going to put boundaries in place for you based on what I see in you and as you develop uh, my boundaries may not change, but my relationship with you will change. And the reasons why my boundaries won't change is because those boundaries 
are not just because of you, it's because of other people that are involved. That there are people who will start drinking alcohol at 5 p.m. and by 10 o'clock, they don't need to be on the road, but they are. And so it's probably going to look like something about as the sun goes down, you're going to be home. Something like that. Unless you're at the school and then you come straight home. A couple miles away, we'll work that out. But I'm going to put things in place based on you specifically and based on what I know about you, based on what will protect you, based on what will love you, based on what will preserve you. If you being good fathers, being considered evil compared to God for his love. Now, I will put a regulation on my kids and I will say, we don't do this. And they'll say, why? Well, because I'm dad. I don't always owe you an explanation on things. I just see what you ain't seen yet. And you just got to have faith and trust me that I want what's best for you. And all of a sudden, everybody wants to, oh, Pastor Josh, he's a good daddy. Oh, he's so good. He's a good daddy. But then we look at the scriptures and we don't want to follow those directions, realizing that he is the best father there's ever been. And he sees what we don't see. Imagine David had lost his marbles because the presence of God was not going to make it to his house and all the wisdom and wealth and protection that came with it was stuck at Obed-Edom's. So close. So David goes back and he talks to everybody and they say, Man, what were you doing with the Ark of the Covenant on a cart to begin with? You couldn't become king until you knew the Old Testament. Until you knew the first five books, you couldn't become king. Until you knew about Abraham's life, until you knew about Moses, you couldn't become king. You knew better than to put the Ark of the Covenant on that cart, David. Guess what? He's saying, I think I do remember reading something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Pull up where it is, pull up. And they probably pulled up Numbers chapter 4. There shall be no hand touch the Ark of the Covenant. Man, I should have warned Yuza. I shouldn't have put him in that position. Had I known what I should have known, had I had the knowledge of the word like I should have had, I wouldn't be in the position I'm in now. And then they sent him a, sent him a scripture. And they said, oh, by the way, Dad, we found this in the ancient writings of your forefathers that uh, not only is it not supposed to go on a cart, that those holes are on the side of it. Yeah. Uh, that has to be of Acadia wood, some Acadia wood logs. And you take those logs and you shape them to the size of those islets and then you take them through there and then you need to call your cousins, the Levites, to come grab the ends of those sticks and bring it to where, and David goes, that's all it takes. That's it, that's all it takes. David goes, pack your bags, boy. We're going to Obed-Edom's house. It's time for the ark to come home. Except this time, we'll do it his way, not my way. The only time you see worship better than leaving Abinadab's house is the ark of the covenant coming back to Jerusalem. They put an altar of worship every six feet for miles and miles stopped every six feet and broke out into Shabbat worship. And when they get tired, they move another six feet, break out and worship again. And when they finally brought it in to the city of David, the whole city bowed down and wept and worshiped. The Bible says that David ripped off his robe and began to dance in his, his loin coverings throughout the city. And you can see Pastor Josh and his tidy whities just busting down Main Street. I apologize for that visual. But they said, man, they said, look at that. David's, David's losing his mind. Look at that worship. 
David said, you don't know what it's been like without the presence of God. You don't know what it's been like fighting in my own strength my whole life. Somebody robbed my people of God's presence and now it's back. His wife came to him and she goes, David, you're the king. You need to put your clothes on. He says, woman, you ain't even seen the beginning of my worship. He says, I will become even more undignified than this. That's the scripture. Well, you ain't got but one piece of clothing left, sweetheart. (laughs) There's something that happens when God's children obey. There's a connection that takes place that what the enemy meant for my bad When I step into his blessings, I step back into that perimeter that he set for me because that's where the blessing's waiting for me, inside the parameters of obedience. And here's what I challenge you. Do it any other way and tell me how that works out. Do it any other way. Do it your way. Do it any other way. Build your family your way. Build your wealth your way. Build your house your way. Let me know how that works out for you. And then turn around and do it God's way. And you'll see blessings. That's just because he loves us. If the rules I put in place are to bless my family, don't you think the rules he's put in place are there to bless you? If you believe it, stand on your feet. We're going to pray. L. Elyon, the most high God. So here's what's interesting. Psalms 91 verses one through four brings all this together. Those who live in the shelter of El Elyon will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. What is the shelter of El Elyon? Perimeters. The things he's built in place for us. If you stay obedient to the things of God, you'll rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He's my God and I trust Him. Do you trust Him enough to obey Him? Do you trust Him enough to get in His Word and figure out what the Word says about your situation and then walk that out? Because if not, He's something besides El El Yom. You see, our country's got real bad about accepting as, as Savior, but not Lord. We like the fire insurance. Boy, we sure hate not getting to do it our way, don't we? We got to grow out of that. Church, we got to grow out of that. In the last days, I believe the Lord is looking for people that he can trust to be obedient with whatever the task. And if he can't trust you with something simple, Something simple. How will he ever put you on this great journey of trust and faith? The verse goes on. It says, for he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from every deadly disease. He'll cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Don't you love that? Man, God's good. Yeah. El Elyon, most high God, the highest of the high, the king of every king, the God of all gods, the keeper of every covenant. But he's also the number one priority in my life. Do you see it? Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. When it's rightly divided, we learn, we're sharpened, we're increased. Just help us. Help us to be obedient. Lord, in every area, help us to be obedient with every word that comes out of our mouth. Help us to be obedient every place we go. Help us to be obedient with everything that we do. Lord, there is a blessing in that obedience. So just help us to be obedient. We don't have to overthink stuff. We just got to obey. And if we can't see it, get in the book. What's the Bible say about it? And then follow suit. 
Thank you, Lord, for the word. And we don't have to be out here guessing about your will. We know what's right and what's wrong by your word. I thank you for that today. We're not out here just philandering around, looking and waiting for signs. No, no, no. You gave us your word and your word's good. And I thank you for that. Lord, uh, let us step into obedience and trust you with everything we have. More than anything, let us trust you with our families. Let us trust you with our children. Let us trust you with our spouses. I thank you for that. And Lord, lastly, as I close, would you just bless us and keep us? Be gracious to us and show us your favor. Make your face shine upon us and give us peace both now and forevermore. Cover us with the blood of Jesus from the top of our head to the soles of our feet. I thank you that no weapon formed against us will prosper, not even our own foolishness, not even our own selfishness, not not even my thick-headedness. Just help me see through myself sometimes to be obedient. Lord, if you've asked for certain people to carry the ark, I won't build any more carts. Just help me be obedient. Help me to go to your word like never before and to find what you've asked of me. I thank you for it, Lord. Bring us back next week with more wisdom and more of your word locked away in our hearts. Lord, how can a people be obedient if we don't know what's being asked? So Lord, hide your word in our heart again. Draw your people back to the scripture with an addiction for your scripture. I pray that each person here would go home and like never before, just be drawn to the good book, drawn to the Bible without cessation, just without any relief, just drawn to the book. I thank you, Lord, that you speak to us through your word. Bring us back next week again with more of your word and more of your wisdom. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody said, Amen. God bless you. We love you. And we'll see you next week. Thanks again for joining us today for the Hope City Community Church Podcast. We pray that what you've heard today will bless you until the next time we meet again. We hope you'll join us again soon to be encouraged, inspired, and challenged to experience the real Jesus. Take good care and God bless.